Hey, this is Brian Wright. Welcome to the Hive Plus Daily B. I'm doing a double today. So here's the thing. I'm flying solo because I got Carl Roberson. I sent him off to Ithaca, New York. He's training with US, uh, Team USA Wrestling's hopefuls for team trials. So that's a big thing for him. We just got back from Brazil. We were at UFC 224. Carl Roberson took on Cesar Mutante Fuea. It didn't go as planned, but... It is what it is. You can go and you can find uh, the Daily B on my YouTube channel, and I go into a little bit more details about what went on there. See some behind-the-scenes footage and whatnot. But basically, Carl went out and smashed the dude with a leg kick. Thought he had him. Started to go for a right hand. Guy changed levels. Took him down, and that's where Carl ended up in Caesar's world. And Caesar did his thing. Carl got caught in choke. He didn't tap. He went out. It is what it is. We'll be back. So now we're focusing on some of the skills that we got to round out. Carl's so young in his career. He's got, a, got a, nothing but upward potential and opportunity. So, again, we sent him up to wrestling. We're working with a new wrestling coach, working out with Team USA hopefuls. That is just a world full of hammers, so there will be nothing but good things coming out of that for Carl. Then when he comes back, we're going to figure out next steps, what's the next fight. I'm going to step in and go back to taking over a little bit more of the duties on the grappling side of things and instead of just focusing on the striking, farming out some of that. That's a shift that we're going to make, plus uh, bringing in some other friends. I've been talking to people. We'll make announcements on that as things get solidified. But it looks like Carl's going to do some traveling and crossing paths with a lot of the people that have shaped my career and given me the skills I have and helped a lot of the athletes that I've worked with round out their games. So... That's just a little bit of an update on where we are on that. Taking a little bit of a sip here from my uh, green tea so I can keep my voice rolling on. So something I've been really focusing on, which is you know, getting to Brazil for UFC 224 was not easy. And then there were a lot of things that were challenges or could be challenges. But in the totality, everything went rather well. But... If I was dwelling upon the things that were not going well, I could have been sidetracked and I could have said a lot of things were meant to be instead of acknowledging that things are what they are, which gets me going into the thought process of really analyzing a lot of things and a lot of choices and feelings I've had at different times. And one of the main things that we have is that we have control. We have control of so many things, but we give up that control when we start talking about all these outside factors that we are giving the power to control the outcome of our own efforts. So we can, they could be metaphysical, they could be mental, they could be pressure from other people, whatever. And we can lose sight of the fact that it's not the world that causes things to happen in our life, but it's how we process the world that is what creates things. It's our response. It's not the world taking control, or we can cede control and allow the world to lead us, but in reality, we are the ones that have the control. So the world comes to us with its challenges and its ideas, and it's how we process that, and it's how we receive that, and then we respond to it. That's everything. You know, it's, it's I missed a flight going to Brazil. I could have said, oh, there's an omen. It wasn't an omen. It was a practical situation. I missed one flight, but I made three others. So I can focus on the one that I missed, and I can say that was an omen, or I can talk about the reality that I actually, you know, I was three for one, which is actually pretty good. You know, the, the, what we tend to focus on is what's going to determine our response. So we could look at 
everything in totality and we can see the things that we control and then we can say this is what I did and this is what I didn't do and this is what I saw and what I didn't see and then you put it all together and there's the outcome or I can say you know it was the weather and the universe and all this other stuff and I can give myself these excuses to accept my own the excuses to not accept my failures but excuses to distract myself from the reality of what I'm doing so it comes down to really just getting into practical reality terms it's understanding that everything that we control and the more we understand what we can control the more we start to see the outside factors as well they make themselves known but if we put everything into the hands of outside factors we never really see the truth we're just sitting here coming up with these constant excuses as to why things aren't working out or just saying that you know they're happening good to chance you you can't blame the bad stuff on outside factors and then take all the credit for all the things that go well. It's you're either one or the other. The outside factors are in control of everything or they're in control of nothing. It can't be pick and choose what you want. So when you're looking at an outcome, being analytical instead of judgmental is going to allow you to take the ego out of the process. It's going to allow you to take all the, the bogus factors that you're making up so that your ego's okay and you're really focusing on what actually transpired so that you can be analytical about the process and then you can start saying, okay, I could have done this differently to change the outcome so that next time you're gonna be more prepared. You're gonna have a more introspective view of what's going on instead of having this constant scenario where you're justifying mistakes with third-party influence. You've got to keep looking at it all and saying it's all 100% my responsibility. It's it's to my credit or to my fault, and you have to be analytical about it. That's why dropping the judgmental is so important. And in something like combat sports, if you continue to be judgmental about it, you're never really going to be able to build a team around you. You're not going to make the changes that you want, and ultimately you're going to hurt yourself or you're going to hurt the athletes that you're working with, which it's, it's a terrible scenario that nobody wants to run into. The main thing we want to do is we want to analyze everything that we do so that we can maximize our effectiveness. We can focus on creating more positive results, keeping our guys safe, keeping ourselves safe. This is an unforgiving business. You make too many mistakes, the body breaks down to a point that you can't recover. You get to a diminishing return point, and that's the worst place you could possibly be. It's not just for combat sports, that's for anything. I don't care what you do. You're always going to run into a situation where if you fall too far, the battle to get back, you don't have enough time to do it effectively, and you just keep failing more and more and more and deeper. So it's trying to find that lane where that your wins stay. You, you win more than you lose, and when you lose, you don't lose so big that you can never have an opportunity to win again. And that comes strictly with being analytical. If you want to be judgmental, in the judgmental point, that's when you start bringing in emotion and feeling and things of that nature and applying that as your primary focus instead of saying A plus B equals C. You start getting into this area where I have to protect how I feel. I have to protect my response. I have to protect my ego. And that's just going to cause more failure. So if you want to get past your obstacles, don't be judgmental. Don't say, God damn, it sucks that I did that. I'm a loser or whatever. Take away all the descriptive terms and the adjectives and look at the process and say, the reason I failed was. And if you can't figure out why you failed, then you have to bring in people that can. And that's one of the beauties of teams. You know, MMA is an individual sport, but it takes a team to get that individual ready to maximize his sport. 
So when Carl goes out in UFC 224, he's the one who has to pull the trigger and he's the one who has to make the ultimate decision. But it was my responsibility to put together a group of people that were going to make sure that he made the right decision, that he had the skills to understand those what those decisions were, and that he had the he was in the mental headspace to do what had to be done when it had to be done. And obviously, I failed at that this time. And instead of sitting there saying Carl made the wrong decision, I have to understand that I put Carl in a position where he wasn't prepared to make these decisions. And that's on me as the coach. And that's on me for working with the people that we did. And I'm not. I'm not disparaging anyone that we work with because we work with good people. I think the biggest problem we had with this was that we didn't coordinate enough and that we didn't communicate enough. And we worked on, as individual coaches, on individual things and we didn't put together a total game plan. Now, I have the ability to sit here and say that now with 2020 hindsight, but I'm also not hiding the fact that that's how I feel about it. I could sit back and I could feel that way. And then I can point fingers at individuals that I work with. I can point my finger at Carl. I can point my finger at the news and the weather and, you know, travel and whatever. I can constantly come up with excuses or I could just be real about it and say, okay, these are the challenges that we faced. Sure, it was my fault and move on. And now I'm looking at it saying, okay, I've got adjustments to make. Fine. And that's what's going to allow us to have success going into the next round because we're being honest about the process. We're being honest with ourselves. We are being introspective instead of grasping for external excuses, external things to latch on to to make us feel better about what happened. You know, I can't make myself feel any worse than I do about this loss, but I also can't make myself feel any better. It is what it is. The only thing I can do is move forward, make sure that we're more prepared, and push through. And that's the process I really, you know, advise people to focus on where when you are faced with these challenges, get through the challenges and then look back at how you got through it. Even if you feel like you did well, figure out how you did well so that you can do even better next time. It's constantly breaking down the process. It's constantly understanding who you were at that time what you did to be prepared at every single step. Where did you fall short? Where did you rise above? Really analyzing everything so that you understand what it was that got you there and then also understand completely what was in your control because I think you'll find that you're in control of a lot more than you give yourself credit for. A lot of us, you know, there's luck. We talk about luck. We talk about, you know, a lot of external forces. I don't, you know, I don't want to offend people, but some people even bring in the God concept or the universe or these other things. And I don't know. I I don't know what I can tell you on that. Maybe that does have an influence on you. Maybe it's something that you draw strength from. But ultimately, it was you that make the decisions. Whatever it is you think gave you the opportunity is fine. You can hold on to that belief. But what actually takes the actions is you. What actually makes the choices is you. Other things will influence that. But it's you that actually has to do the work. And it's you that has to make the choices. So you've got to focus on who you are at these times and understand it completely so that you can be more prepared next time. You can draw strength from it or you can be analytical about where you fell short and then you can get stronger in those areas. There's there's nothing but growth opportunity when you're being analytical. There's nothing but distraction and pain when you're talking about being judgmental and when you're being judgmental 
you tend to not just judge yourself, you tend to judge the people around you, and that doesn't create a good situation. Because again, going back to the whole concept of a team, is that you have to look at what everything's going on in totality. You have to look at how all the parts are coming together, and instead of putting blame and judgment, putting an analysis, and then you can figure out, do all of the people in this team make up all the pieces to create a, a total picture for success instead of ejecting possibly good people because it allows you to feel better about yourself because you're judging yourself on an emotional level. That's hard. It's so hard. It's so hard to not be judgmental. It's so hard to accept defeat. It's so hard to not take all the credit for the success. It's hard to allow somebody else to have the spotlight. It's hard to not be the center of attention. You know, these are, these are all human things that we struggle with. And as athletes and coaches, it's a, it's a huge struggle as well. Um, this crosses over to everything. This is not just combat sports. This is not just the experiences that I've been talking about. This is, this is just a common experience for people. And we're constantly faced with, where are we going to put the attention? Where are we going to put the focus? Are we going to focus on the people around us in a way that allows us all to succeed? Or are we going to try and suck all the attention in so that we become the center? You know, we, we all have to be aware of how we're dealing with that. We all have to be aware of what it is that we need and what we want. It's funny, I was, I, I, uh, was listening on Audible. I get these free credits on Audible because I buy my books through Amazon. So I get these free credits to get audiobooks. And... Just for the hell of it, because I had a 14-hour plane ride each way, I got the book, The Simple Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And the funny part was, and I'm, I'm listening to this, and I'm going, shit, I could have I, I written this. I felt like half the stuff that was being said I, I read. I, I wrote myself. It was, it was completely my mindset. And it talked a lot about the reality of where we place our care, which is the whole giving a fuck concept, and how by not giving a fuck, we actually are caring more. So it's the less we care about, the more we actually care because when we focus our care on the things that are important and we let go of the different layers of attachments that we apply to things and all these like distractions again and just all these layers, when we let go of them and we only focus on what we need to achieve the task at hand, we're actually more effective we're better to the people around us. We're, we're just creating better things all the way around in general. So it's the less you care, the more care you actually physically provide. And it, it, it's a counterintuitive concept, but it makes a tremendous amount of sense. And this is not just somebody that wrote a book that said, hey, the more I focus, whatever. I mean, this is like psychological stuff. You can look it up again. I always say this. Do not listen to me. You Google everything I say and find out if I'm right or wrong. You know, does uh, I'm not sitting here trying to act like I'm some uh, professor who knows it all. I'm t- this is a collection of information that I'm constantly spewing that's uh, just spinning in my head. But if you look at the more you simplify, the less things you care about at any given time, the better your focus is, the better your results tend to be, the more deep you get to get into things, which again creates a better result. So by, by not caring, you care more. And that goes down to this analytical versus judgmental thing as well. So if you're constantly being judgmental, you're applying these layers, you're caring about things you don't need to care about, which actually 
diminishes your ability to take the actions that will physically care for yourself and the people around you. So stripping down, getting rid of that ego and really just focusing on the task, that's really, that's really the thing. I feel like that's why we train. I feel like that's why we push ourselves because it's when you really go hard, when you go super deep and you get beyond you know, where you feel comfortable and you get into that zone where now you're afraid because it's going to start to hurt, not just because of what people are doing to you, but because of how far you have to go and how deep you have to suck it up. These are the places where you really start to focus and you really start to strip away the layers because you're too tired. You don't have the energy to carry any more. So you just keep carrying less and less and less until you're then operating in your core. And that's when you kind of get into that autopilot position where you're just doing the job. You're doing what it is you have to do with you know, the few ounces of energy you have left. And that's when you really find out the truth and it's crazy anyone who's ever trained in anything that's an endurance sport in any way or done anything that requires endurance you know that you get to this point where you're ready you're you're pretty much done and then you find out there's more and then that more tends to be the place where it's almost like that's where the magic happens that's that place where it all kind of comes together where time kind of slows down where you start to see things differently where you start to understand it where you start to actually feel what you're doing to a greater degree and you get into that flow where you just elevate your game but it takes a place where you really burn off everything to find that to get into that place so you know if you're going in and you're doing work and you're sparring for two or three rounds you're never going to get that when you spar for two or three rounds and then you start to get nervous because oh your lungs are starting to get burned out and your body's starting to hurt that's when you should go another two or three rounds and see, am I done or am I just scared of the pain and I really have that much more left? And then when you really feel like you're done and you're still going and you blow your own mind because you're like, wow, I didn't realize I had that. The confidence that comes from that, the self-understanding that comes from that, that's, that's just a, a beautiful place to go. And that's that place again where all the judgment, all the bullshit, it all just goes away. And you start to really focus on the only thing that matters, and that's putting one foot in front of the other and keeping your hands up and breathing in and out and picking up what's coming at you, you know, doing all the little things that are going to make you survive whatever amount of time you have left. You know, so we look at these challenges that come our way, and we see all these opportunities, and then we put in the work. And if we work long enough... We really figure out what matters and what doesn't. And then we can figure out what we need to care about and what we don't. And then if we really come in touch with it, we start to get to that amazing place where we can let go of the ego because we found real security in action. Instead of focusing on the things we haven't done, or focusing on the things we don't like we've done, instead of trying to hide everything, we let it all hang out because there's a confidence in the fact that we've actually done things. You know, I had a good friend of mine was Sean Tompkins. He was the leader of Team Tompkins. And I remember Sam Stout lost a fight, and I, and I texted him. I said, hey, man, I'm sorry about Sam. And my phone rang. And it was funny. It was on a pay-per-view, and actually he was on camera. And I saw him look at his phone, and it was my text. And then I saw him pick up his phone, and he called me. And he was like, hey, man. I'm like, yo, you didn't have to call me. And he's like, look, I don't want you to feel sorry for Sam or any of my boys. He said, I, I, 
I don't want you to feel sorry for them because they just lost in the UFC. Losing in the UFC, which is the premier organization in the world for what we do, losing here is better than winning in a regional show. So don't feel sorry for my boys for competing at the highest level. Don't be sorry for any of us. We worked really hard to get here, and we're going to continue to work hard to stay here. And the, the lack of need for anyone to have empathy for him or sympathy towards him in that situation was a real eye-opener. And the confidence he had in himself as a coach and then as his guys because of the level in which they were playing was really, was really a beautiful thing to see. And being at that level myself, it's really that place where you have this big goal and then you get into that goal. So like for us, you get into the UFC, which is like the NFL of, NM- of MMA, it's not the end result, but for a lot of us, it's that qualifying, quantifying position where it's like, okay, I've arrived. You know, it, it's like a black belt. A black belt's intention was not to be the end all and be all. A lot of things that kills me is in the West in particular, a lot of people get their black belt and they stop training. They stop training hard. They show up for class, but they stop doing the work that they put in when they were a green belt or a brown belt and they were striving for something. You know, once they get a black belt, they almost get into a maintenance level when the real intention of the black belt was not maintenance, but that was the beginning of the higher education. So in a lot of ways, your colored belts were being in high school and then you get your black belt, now you're in college. And there's still other ranks to go and there's things to learn and a higher understanding of stuff. And it makes sense because the founders of the arts that have belt systems, they were all educators. Jigoro Kano, the, the founder of judo, he was a teacher. And then uh, the founder of Shotokan Karate, Funakoshi, he was a teacher. They were both teachers at Tokyo University, and they came up with a belt system to match the educational system. So all this shit you hear about, you know, your belt changes color over time because you're training and all this stuff outside, that's all bullshit. There were no belts until the educators got involved, and they created belts because they felt like markers were important for people to have direction. It was something that they could organize the knowledge with. So... You know, for for me, when you apply that kind of mentality to a a career situation, so getting to a higher organization like UFC, getting into Bellator, sending guys to Ryzen, whatever, like the premier organizations, the ones that get the big views, in a lot of ways, that's the beginning. That's when you got your foot in the door to compete at the higher level. Now the real test is going to be, can you stay there? Do you have the skills to, to... keep guys at that level? Can you build a team that is skilled enough to keep you up there? And that's the real test. So the thing is, is that the battle's never over. We're never done. Just because we got somewhere, it's not like, okay, I'm there. If I take that attitude, it's going to be over. We will be done. Carl won't win another fight. I'll never get another guy of that caliber. When the reality is this is just the the beginning for us. Carl got the foot in the door. Carl's inspiring the other guys on the team. He's showing the, the roadmap of how to get there. Now it's my job to work with him to create even more things on that map to show people how to stay there. And ultimately, you know, we want to challenge for that belt and we want to become a champion in the organization. But you've got to stay there first and you've got to learn and you've got to evolve. You know, the skills that got you there are not the ones that are going to keep you there. 
once you get there, you got to keep growing. And again, it, it, it's celebrating the victories along the way, not dwelling upon the defeats, and just constantly understanding the evolution of what we do. Because if you, if you don't find the balance of celebration and analysis, you could lose your way because you can have a victory that there wasn't a tremendous amount of value in that victory, but you can act like it was a bigger deal so you can stop your progress. Or you can make a mistake and you can lose a fight that was rather winnable and you can dwell on it so long that you actually diminish your ability to perform because you can't get past it. There's that middle zone where you have to celebrate the good things in a way that's going to keep you positive. You have to understand the losses in an analytical way so you can work on the skills that you need to to make sure that the same kind of loss doesn't happen again. It's all finding that balance. It's finding a place that you can be most effective. It's finding a place where you focus on the things that matter, keeping yourself positive and progressive by celebrating in a progressive way what you do right, analyzing what you do wrong, constantly working on new things and never losing the things that you do well. Because that's another one that I find is an issue is that when guys run into a hiccup, so Carl, I keep going back to this. I said I wasn't going to talk about it, but here we go. I can't help it because it's just such a new experience and it just speaks so much to everything I'm talking about here. So Carl gets taken down and he gets submitted. Now, Carl's a world-class striker for sure. Now, we can go and we can flip the script and we can say, okay, we're going to strike once or twice a week and we're going to spend the rest of the time working on wrestling and jiu-jitsu because we need to get your grappling up to speed. Okay, but if we do that, he's also going to lose that world-class edge of his striking. Sure, his striking's still going to be good because he's naturally just that good now. But then if we lose that weapon, the other things that we're adding over a short period of time here, we're going to diminish our entire game. It's adding to what you've got without diminishing your effectiveness. So we have to wrestle more and we have to do jujitsu more, but we have to continue to do the high level striking that we do. And we just have to incorporate different skills and we have to get a higher IQ for the fight game. We don't throw everything out the window and start over again because we don't have time to do that. It took years to get our level of striking up to par. It's going to take years to get the level of grappling up to par. You don't throw one thing out the window, focus on the other for a couple months, and expect everything to be okay. You have to realize that it's going to take time. That the grappling's still not going to be perfect next fight, and it's probably never going to be perfect because the amount of time and effort that we put into the striking side of things, it's a career's worth of time. You know, it's going to take a decade. The career should be a decade, but it took a decade to get to the point that we are on that side. So now we add new skills and we continue to, to chip away at them. And yes, Carl will end up being a world-class wrestler and grappler in time, but it's not going to happen in six weeks. It's not going to happen in six months. It's going to take time. It's going to take whatever amount of time that he requires. Some people take more time than others. Some some people will take to something, will be a whiz, and can be world-class in an extremely short amount of time. But that amount of time tends to not be weeks or months. It still tends to be years. Even George St. Pierre, who everyone says is such an amazing wrestler coming from a striking background, 
The truth with him is, yes, he's an amazing wrestler, but it took him a long time to become that wrestler. When he was fighting in Canada in, in uh, TKO, his wrestling was okay, but it wasn't until much later in his UFC career that his wrestling really started to blossom because he figured it all out over time. It took years for him to put himself in a position where everything worked well together. And his striking was always there. His striking was still the glue that was binding his, his uh, takedowns and everything together. And that's just the way it is. And that's for everything. So what I'm trying to say here is that you really have to focus on your strengths and you have to maintain them. You have to hold on to them. You have to still grow within those strengths. You have to recognize what your weaknesses are and you have to focus on them to a degree, but you can't focus on them so much that they take away your strengths because now you've just compounded your problem. Now, not only are you working through a problem, which is still something you haven't resolved, you're pulling down your higher level skills and now you've just dumbed down everything because you are so f afraid of that one thing. You really have to embrace those strengths. And again, you have to be introspective enough to understand what your strengths are. And you have to be analytical enough to understand what all that, how it all balances out. And you just have to, yeah, you have to accept who you are in a lot of ways. You know, in a lot of ways, a striker's never going to be a master grappler maybe I don't know sometimes it happens but for the most part we tend to kind of gravitate towards one way you don't throw the other side out but you still have to be good at it, especially when fighting MMA I mean for us shit if Carl ever gets taken down by a grappler of Caesar's level we don't ever want him to get submitted like that again so you know we've got to work on that skill that is something that we absolutely can achieve but it's taking an analytical approach to it, seeing what the key factors are. Not saying that we want to be a third-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's saying that we have to identify what that level of skill brings to the table and what are the two or three things in each situation we can do that can create the opportunity for us to get out of that situation and fight back more towards our strengths. So it's not, it's not that we need to become our enemy. It's really all about defeating our enemy. And that's, for each of us, it's not that we need to become, you know, you don't need to master your weakness. You have to figure out how to pull yourself out of the areas where that weakness is going to be exploited and put yourself in a position where your strengths are going to win the day. It doesn't matter if it's fighting, it could be business, it could be parenting, it could be anything. I mean, I, I look at my life at home, and I mean, I'm married, I have a son, and my wife's about to pop any second. I mean, the reason I'm sitting here solo again is because I haven't been able to schedule anyone because my wife's been in and out of the hospital because she keeps having labor pains. I have a feeling that she's going to pop tomorrow or the next day. But I have to focus on what my strengths are with my family. I can't be everything to everyone. I have to understand what my role is, and I have to understand with my son. The only way I can be an effective father with my son is I have to be for him the best father that I can be. I can't, I'm not emulating anyone else. I have to have an honest relationship with my son. And one of the one things that I found that really has been a huge difference in how I'm parenting, and I'm not throwing my father under the bus, he comes from a different time in a different way. But when my father would make mistakes, he didn't really say he was sorry. I don't know if we've ever really sat down and talked about some of the challenges that we've had in a practical way where either one of us said, hey, you know what, I didn't know any better, I tried my best, I'm sorry. It's kind of one of those things where it's just a given. I have no grudges. 
I don't begrudge my, my either of my parents anything. I think they, they did the best they had they could with the skills that they had. But one thing with my son, he's five years old, and yesterday in particular, uh, haven't been sleeping really well the last week. Uh, Brazil time screwed me up. There's so much travel, whatever. I was getting a little short, and I snapped at my son a few times yesterday, and I was like, God, why am I being such a dick? And I told my I pulled my son in. I said, Hey, buddy. I said, I'm really sorry that I snapped at you the way I did. Uh, you didn't deserve that, and I'm sorry. And he gave me a big hug and whatever. And what's happening there is, hopefully I'm not creating a situation where because I snapped at him is one thing, but having the ability to get over my ego and allow myself to be wrong in his eyes hopefully diminishes the amount of things that'll stick in his brain that are gonna cause hiccups later on in his life. Because I even know for myself, there's so many times that my parents would do something and not say something and they kind of stuck with me and it took me decades in a lot of ways to get over those things. And again, I'm not blaming anything on them. I don't think their parents ever did it for them. And it's just a generational difference. Um, I'm fortunate enough to recognize certain things and have the ability to parent the way I do. And again, from an analytical viewpoint of it, instead of judgmental, I can be sitting here and saying, you know, my dad was a dick and he didn't do this or he didn't do that, but I'm not. I'm looking at it from an analytical perspective. I'm saying being a dad today and being raised by my father, juxtaposition the two of them has given me an ability to, to just look at things and see what the best course of action is going to be based upon all of it. So I see the things my dad did that were good, and I see the things that my dad did that I may have had issues with, and I see how I am with my son, and I see how he's responding, and I put all that information together, and I try and process it in a way to make the next move better so that I can do the best thing for my kid. And again, this conversation I'm having here is the same way I look at what happened last weekend in Brazil. I look at everything and I figure out what's going to be, after I look at all the information, I say, what's the next step going to be? How do I make that the best step? And that's the point, isn't it? The point is, is that we want to continue to make the best steps. We want to be better each time. And I said it before where if I give away, if I give away all the blame, it diminishes my ability to take the credit. And that's the same kind of thing with relationships. Like with my dad, if I, if I blame all my shortcomings on my father, and then I look at the decisions that I'm making now and I take all the credit for them, and I don't accept the reality of it, it's my life in totality that gives me the ability to make these decisions, then it, 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 it's, just, it's not fair to the whole sitch. Like, I am actually thankful to my father for the life that I've had because it's allowed me to become the man that I am, and I like the man that I am and the father that I am. It's the struggle that I had in my own upbringing that's giving me the ability to look at how I'm raising my own child and how I can make those decisions. So instead of being judgmental and hating my father for anything, which we all can, every single person I've ever had on here has had something to say about their parents, like, yeah, my parents did this and it was a challenge or that. But the one thing that all the successful people I talk to say is, sure, I had my challenges, but my challenges made me. So instead of sitting there and dwelling upon how we felt 10, 20, 30 years ago, we look at how we, who we are today 
and we're appreciative and thankful for our experiences. And as challenging as it is, some of the most difficult situations and people we've ever had to deal with, we have to be thankful to them. We have to be appreciative for that, the fact that we had them. So we can't just sit here and be happy about the wins. We have to be happy about the losses that we learn from. So, you know, one day I want Carl to look back at UFC 224 and say, yeah, that was the best thing that ever happened. I want to look back at the next fight and say, thank God for UFC 224 because it motivated me to do the things that we could dominate in the next show. So it, I don't want to say it's all how you look at it, but it's how you organize it. And if you choose to be judgmental or analytical, it just comes down to being that simple. Are, are, are we distracting ourselves with judgment or are we analyzing reality? Are we owning the things that we do? Are we owning our responsibility to our situations? Are we taking responsibility for the outcome of things instead of pushing it off to you know, things we're basically making up in our head? And really understanding that we control 99.9% of every single situation that we're in and that it's not the world but our response to the world that dictates everything. So, I'm sitting here, I've been running my mouth for going on 37 minutes, and it goes directly to what I'm talking about. We could have won, and we could be sitting here talking about the good time we had, but instead I'm sitting here going over a practical review of experience. And I'm using that loss as motivation to understand the process and then being motivated to share the process and continue the conversation about the process and to go deeper in the reality of this and to figure out what's really making stuff happen, what's a distraction, what's abstract, what's concrete, how do we create a foundation to get future success, how do I feel about this? What do I want to feel like next time? There's just so many things that are coming into play that are putting me in a position to just do that much more positive work. So I don't like the fact that we have a loss on the record, but I'm thankful for the opportunity for the comeback to come because I'm better already. I know Carl's better. He's angry. He's not happy. But he's going to be so much better because he's addressing a lot of things due to this. And so am I. So is everybody on the team. We all are. We're sorting a lot of shit out because we know it's on the line. We can't lose again. we got to win the next one. And the one after that. And the one after that. And the one after that. And we can't allow a victory to distract us from the job that we have at hand. And we can't live off past accomplishments. We have to focus on what's next. So you'll hear me talk about that a lot. It's one of the one things I really focus on is that, especially as an instructor, I can't live on past accomplishment. I can't, I can't say I'm going to beat the next guy because we beat this guy. I can't say we're going to win tomorrow because we won today. I have to say we won today for this reason. We'll win tomorrow if we do this. And it's constantly looking at the future and understanding how to be progressive and how to continue to grow. And never get to that point where we say, okay, I'm going to be successful in the future because I'm no longer going to do this. Because a lot of people are successful and they literally stop participating and they just expect the world to take care of them because they did great things once. But the world doesn't care about what you've done. The world cares about how what you've done 
makes it better today. So you may not be able to win the fights going forward because you might be retired, but how you won your fights is something that you have to pass on to other people in a way that's going to make them better. So my personal fight career was the catalyst for me to be a better coach, and I don't sit back and tell war stories and expect those war stories to have any effect on anyone. I look back at my career and I look at the mistakes I made, I look at the good things I did, and I figure out how to use that experience to coach people more effectively today. And then I try and use those stories to motivate people today. And I try and share my experience in a way that lets people know what's possible and what we're capable of and how much better we can be. You know, my success and failure created a foundation for everyone that comes to my door to use that as a stepping stone. You're not starting at zero. You're starting where I left off. And then I'm working with you to create more. And that's the cool part about it. And that's the amazing part about coaching. It was funny. I was talking to somebody today about it. Uh, uh, the hardest part about coaching is trusting. It's trusting myself. It's not even trusting other people. Trusting the right people is really important. But I have to trust myself enough to allow people to go out and represent. Because if I, if I just ride someone's natural talent... And when that talent runs out, I have the ability to say, well, they're only that good. But if I take that talent and I add to it, and when they win or lose, it's based upon what I brought to the table with them, then I'm responsible. Then I have to take responsibility for whatever failure or success comes the way. So when the talent runs out and then the skill fails, I failed. If it's just talent that's running out because I didn't put any skill into it, I have the ability to sit back and say, ah, they didn't listen or whatever. But the reality is I didn't take the risk to trust. I didn't take the risk to build something. I didn't take the, the risk to trust that, that what I was building is going to work. I didn't trust myself to be able to handle if it didn't work. And that's more than anything is that a lot of us get stuck in the pattern where we're afraid to trust ourselves handling defeat we don't want to lose so we put ourselves in a position where the blame's always going to be somewhere else and that's because again going back to what i said earlier about the giving a fuck part it's like when we give a fuck about what the world thinks about is so great we have to come up with excuses because we can't accept responsibility because if it's our fault all those people that we're, we think are are judging us they, they have this opinion that we're caring about, this opinion that we're playing to. Instead of doing what's right, we're doing what we can to hide our failures and only celebrate our victories. And if you're a coach, you're just fucking your athletes. It's that simple. If you're a business owner, you're fucking your employees. If you're an employee, you're fucking your customer. You're always fucking the person that you're working with the person that you're servicing because you don't have the ability to accept responsibility for who you are and what you are and where you are so if you're going to care about anything care about doing the right thing don't worry about what the world is going to think about it because if it's the right thing it's the right thing and honestly anyone that's going to judge the wrong thing inappropriately they're the wrong person and they make themselves look more of an asshole than you so focus on the shit that matters be analytical about the process. And don't worry about, you know, this, the, these ghosts, these, these things that are out there that you think are judging you. Don't let the trolls on Twitter bother you.
Don't let the guy who's typing away that's never done anything affect your decisions. Do the right thing. Look at things the right way. Be selfless as a coach. Be selfish as a fighter. Take care of yourself. Do the right thing. But always doing the right thing is the right thing. There's no, you don't need an excuse for it. You just have to do it. All right. I'm going on about close to 45 minutes here. I think I've rambled on enough. Uh, next time we'll come back. Hopefully I'll have a guest and we can go into things a little bit more. But this is Brian Wright with The Hive and also doubling up with a Daily B episode on here. So I want to do a shout-out again. Uh, quick one. Sucker Punch with Brian Hamper, Brian Butler. They really stepped up and took great care of us going into UFC 224. They made sure that we all got there. They made sure that we were taken care of while we were there. They did everything they possibly could. They gave us some amazing gear. Um, they've done everything they possibly can to help us with this UFC experience with Carl. And, uh, you know, we can't say thank you great and uh, we can't say thank you enough. So big shout out to Sucker Punch Entertainment. If you're an athlete on the way up and your skill level and your ability to uh, get through this career is solid enough that you could work with them, I highly recommend it. So thank you guys. Thank you to the Bryans from Sucker Punch. We got to thank uh, the, the guys from Thrive for keeping me and Carl both health healthy and uh, in shape to continue doing what we do. Uh, towards the end of Carl's last camp, I was really beat up, and I, I was having a lot of trouble holding pads and staying on point because my body was breaking down, and I went and saw them, and they got my neck and my back squared away and got this amazing acupuncture. I loosened up some pinched nerves I had on my neck and my back, and, yeah, they, they made sure that I was 100% going into the last part of it and got to throw it out to uh, Dante Rivera Jiu-Jitsu for helping Carl with Jiu-Jitsu for the last camp. I know it didn't go well in the fight, but, again, can't solve the riddle of Jiu-Jitsu in six weeks. It takes a long time. So it was the beginning of better skills. It wasn't, it wasn't an end. It was a beginning. And as always, Bulldog Strength and Conditioning for, again, Carl in amazing shape and all the other guys on the team. And the, the big shout-out has to go to Corey Anderson for making the trip once again. Uh, I think the, the poor guy's been home one weekend in the last couple months, and he hopped on a, came home from a trip and then hopped on a plane and came down to Brazil and helped us out and cornered for Carl, and he's always been there. He's been Carl's you know, main sparring partner, training partner, and a huge, a huge help on everything MMA and navigating his career in the UFC. So... Thank you to everybody that's been a part of this journey. And uh, the rebound on this is going to be pretty high, pretty hard. And the guys that have to spar with Carl for the next month or so, I'm sorry. And the guy that has to fight Carl next, I'm sorry, but you're dead. Simple as that. I guarantee a victory in Carl's next fight. So if you're somebody that bets on flights, bet on Carl because this man is on a mission. And Carl on a mission is a scary dude. So, all right. This is Brian Wright. I am flying solo on the Hive. This is the Hive Podcast. You can find us at thehivecast.com. You can find me, Brian Wright, at brianwright732.com, brianwright732 on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find the gym, Killer B Combat Sports Academy, at KillerBCSA on Instagram and Twitter, also KillerBCSA.com. All right, finally, we are going to be done. This is Brian Wright, the Hive Podcast. We are out. Yeah. Yeah. You see? No.